0: And we're live with Angular Air. Um, Today, we are talking about unit testing and end-to-end testing with Angular. And we're joined by some special guests. Um, And go ahead and say hello when I introduce you guys. Um, So we're joined by Andres Dominguez. Hello. And uh, Julie Ralph. Hey, everyone. And Zan Thrash. Hello. And as always, I am your host, Kent C. Dodds, and I have a couple of announcements for you before we get into the main stuff. So um, next week, our our show is with David East about Firebase and Angular 2. That's April 21st, same time, same place. Uh, And we do have a couple of questions for today's show, um, but if you have a question that you'd like to ask our guests about Angular and specifically testing, then uh, just simply go to ng-air.github.io, and you can uh, find a link to ask questions there. Uh, and then, as always, follow us on Twitter and Google+, Plus at Angular Air, um, for updates on our show, upcoming shows and different things like that. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into the meat of our show. So um, before I ask any question about unit testing in general, um, I think it would be useful for our, our viewers to know um, who you guys are. So. Um, well, let's just start with uh, Andres and then Julie and Zan. If you guys could introduce yourselves and uh, what your uh, role is and your experience with testing with Angular, that would be sweet. So Andres, go ahead.
1: OK, so um, I'm a software engineer at Google New York. I've been working with Angular for more than three years. I've written thousands of tests, and more recently, I've been working on Protractor. Um, I'm one of the many contributors. Awesome.
0: Thousands of tests. I (laughs) I hope they're all passing. May your tests be (laughs) (laughs) ever-passing. This has written the most tests using Protractor of anyone ever. (laughs) Awesome. I'm sure we'll benefit from your experience when we talk about end-to-end testing and Protractor, so looking forward to to chatting. All right, Julie.
2: Uh, So my name's Julie Ralph. Um, I'm also a software engineer at Google. Um, I'm a software engineer in test, and I'm in the Seattle office. Uh, and I'm the author of Protractor and have also been working with Angular for somewhere around three years and worked with some of the early applications and getting their tests set up.
0: So did you start as a, uh, working on uh, Protractor with Angular or uh, how, did, how did you get into, well, yeah, yeah, how did you yeah. get into?
2: Um, so I uh, was working on a project at Google that was one of the early adopters of Angular back in version 0.9 something. Um, And so, at that point, there weren't all that many applications using it, so um, I got to go down and have some direct contact with the Angular core team. Uh, And way back then, there was this thing called the Angular Scenario Runner, which was their packaged solution for end-to-end testing, Um, but it really didn't do everything that we needed. Uh, So I kind of went and said, hey, can I work on making a new version of this? Um, And that led to me being able to work on Projector. Cool.
0: Um, Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Uh, Zan. Yeah, I'm a software engineer
3: at Netflix in California and I'm working on a very large Angular project currently for Netflix. Prior to that I was a consultant um, doing, dancing back and forth between the back end stack and the front end stack. um, Doing a lot with Angular for the past probably two years. Um, I've written Thousands of tests as well, mostly in the unit side of the testing equation.
0: Awesome. Uh, Unit tests are cool, too. Uh, (laughs) Most of my time writing unit tests, actually, so I'm I'm, uh, looking forward to to talking about that with you guys, uh, as well as um, protractor testing. Um, I was actually just a comment about Netflix. I was on Netflix the other day, and I noticed that um, their footer is in React. So are, are you guys kind of spanning React and Angular at Netflix?
3: Yeah, we, uh, we have this concept of freedom and responsibility where the company does not dictate what stack we use, so each team is free to choose the stack that they want to use, as long as they are willing to support it. Um, React got a lot of, React at Netflix got a lot of play at React Comp this year, um, because the UI is starting to phase in that, but there is a lot of Angular. On some of the other systems, many many other systems that Netflix has that aren't public facing. I see. Cool.
0: Well, great. Uh, so I, I wanted to ask you, testing experts. Oh, and maybe I. Well, yeah. I wanted to ask you, testing experts, about uh, testing JavaScript in uh, like in general, not specifically Angular. But um, I I I'm pretty new to the software development world. I I started coding about, like, three years ago, um, so, uh, and, and I did, like, a year of Java, and then I've just been doing JavaScript ever since, so I, I never really did a lot of testing with Java, um, but anytime I talk with somebody about testing JavaScript, they're always like, oh, man, it's so awful. Uh, testing JavaScript is, JavaScript is such a weird language, I don't know. Uh, so there's something unique about testing with JavaScript. Do you, do you guys have any uh, thoughts about uh, what makes testing with JavaScript so uh, difficult, or if it's not difficult, what makes it different?
2: I think there's there's kind of two things that this splits into that makes it really difficult. One is testing web pages is really hard because there's differences between browsers, and you know, are you testing something on localhost or is there network latency? So that's a whole can of worms. But then just JavaScript itself, because it's not typed or compiled, there's a lot that tests need to do that in a language like Java you would just get with the compiler.
0: Are you talking about like um, types and like? make sure that if I get past a number that I throw an error saying, hey, I need a string, stuff like that.
2: Yeah, exactly that, and even things like syntax errors that you would probably catch during a test, you know, during a unit test run if you're working with JavaScript instead of something that would just get caught as a build error or a compile error in many other environments.
0: I see, yeah, I've actually found that uh, just having the test harness uh, can provide a great deal of value, uh, like, um, having that code coverage is is uh, really useful, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, any other thoughts um, about testing JavaScript?
1: Well, something that is very different is um, you have your tests, and usually in another language you have the test runner and the test, they're tightly coupled, but in JavaScript you have the tests, you have the framework, and then you have the test runner, so it's like multiple things, and on top of the test runner, you have the browser. So um, you have this thing called JavaScript but it's going to be run in a different box, and there are, like, so many ways to run it, and every year you have, like, more and more versions to to run on. So before you had, like, Internet Explorer, uh, Firefox, and then Chrome came, and then you have, like, mobile devices and tablets, and it's very, very difficult to test because you can say, okay, I'm safe because maybe I'm testing on Chrome 40, 41, and Firefox this version, but then there are so many browsers you can test on that it's kind of difficult to make sure that
3: everything works.
2: Yeah, yeah that's a great point, and just the whole problem of, like, traditionally, you need a browser to even do unit testing. Um, I guess the alternative to that would be running tests just in plain Node, but then you're dealing with the fact that Node is a kind of different environment than the browser where presumably your final application is going to be running.
0: Sure, I know that. Uh, let's see. We were talking with uh, Powell and uh, um, you know, last week, and we were talking about contributing to Angular, and he mentioned that Angular runs about five thousand tests altogether, um, just combined with the combined browsers that you're running tests against, and it takes like twenty minutes to run all those tests, which is wild. Um, but yeah, uh, I I think with uh, traditional like compiled languages, you are normally in control of your platform, and so you only need to, need to worry about ensuring that you know, you're testing on the platform that you're deploying to. Um, but we deploy to everything. <laughs> oh, so, good point. Um, yeah, JavaScript JavaScript is fun. Um, so what, what makes testing Angular, uh, different than testing normal, uh, JavaScript? What makes it better? What ma- makes it harder? Uh, what's different?
2: I have some thoughts on what this means for end-to-end, but maybe it would make more sense to kind of start with what it means for unit tests. Sure. sure. So,
3: what do you think, Zan? Well, I think the,
2: one of the benefits
3: you get from Angular is the dependency injection. Um, It allows you to mock out collaborators that might be expensive to use, or you might not want to test. Um, Also, I think the module system provides um, test isolation, and that's one thing I don't think people new to Angular fully leverage, so you see them having to mock out like their whole bootstrap just to get something down the stack tested. Um, That's something I've seen over and over again. Those are, those are the two things that pop to mind for unit you know, testing that Angular has.
0: Yeah, I, um, it was uh, Joe Eames who, uh, one time on the Adventures in Angular podcast, uh, he picked or, or gave a tip that uh, you shouldn't be using multiple modules in your app unless you know why. And I, I think that uh, testing is probably the biggest reason why you want to use uh, multiple modules in your app so that you can test the things in isolation. Is that what, is that what you'd say? Or is, is
3: there another reason for that, maybe? No, I would agree um, fully that that's probably one of the biggest benefits that the modular system really provides.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I think that's way useful. Modularization uh, can be difficult uh, to accomplish, especially with JavaScript. Um, right. Hopefully that's going to improve in the next uh, little while. So. Well, and I, I agree, the uh, dependency injection, I, I um, that was just a good idea. Um, I don't know who came up with it originally, like, the, the concept, but uh, uh, dependency injection makes uh, testing um, anything that uses dependency injection, like, so much easier, because you can just say, oh, you need these things? Well, let me get you a fake copy um, just behind your back, um, and that's... Um, helps you to test the right things. So when you're unit testing, Zan, like how do you make sure that you're testing the right things, that I'm not testing, like, um, I don't know, testing that ng-show works, um, but rather testing uh, something around my application's logic? How, how do you make sure that you're not testing the wrong things?
1: OK, Why I would t- say, uh, yeah. No, go uh, ahead. Go uh, ahead. Uh, depends on what kind of animal you're testing, because um, you have these zoo of things in in Angular. So you can have a controller, you can have a directive, you can have a service, you can have a factory. So what is it that you're testing? If you're testing a directive, it's a little bit more complex, because let's say you want to resize something, you have to add that to the DOM. So you have to add it to the document. Some things you can test in the air, so you don't have to attach it. Uh, If you are testing a service, it's easy. If you're testing a controller that makes HTTP requests, then you have to mock your entire, like, Interaction with the backend, so you say, okay, I'm gonna make this request. I'm expecting this to happen, and then when you have this URL or this post, then it's gonna return this. So depending on what it is it you're gonna be testing, is like what kind of approach you take. Because when you're testing a directive, usually you don't care about like making an HTTP request and taking that. But when you're testing a service or a controller that has these dependencies, then you start to think, okay, what's gonna happen? What's the interaction with the, like the external dependencies, and how is it that I'm going to be mocking this behavior, and how much do I need to mock. So I would say it depends. And then I, I also like testing the behavior. So I like writing my tests first. And for many people it's, it's like I'm talking crazy stuff, especially with web development. When I started, I didn't know what I was doing. so. Usually you make something work and you know how it works, and then you write the test. And I don't think that's the correct approach. So you test the behavior and say, okay, something I always try to chase my team to to do is like, okay, give me a structure that has given when then. Given is like the preconditions if you have a state when is an action that you perform on whatever you're testing, and then is the assertion. So if you test the behavior and if you have this structure, you can make it readable and make it in plain English. that's how you get like good testing and that's how I like doing it
0: cool I, I actually uh, I used uh, cucumber. Are you familiar with that? yeah uh, yeah, so they use that that syntax um, that um, i I did very little of that, but uh, it it seemed to work, and people liked the way that it read. Um,
2: so. Yeah, and I, I think that that's kind of separate from Cucumber. Cucumber makes it easy to make that look like, like you know, a, a paragraph that you would write, but in general, you can organize your code that way, and I think in use it, well, in all tests, I even do it just kind of with little line break cues. like within a given block I'll have the setup, and then there'll be like two little line breaks, and then what's actually testing, and then, um, you know, any expectations at the bottom. Um, and it's it's kind of a simple little thing, but I find it a, a really useful just visual pattern for most tests.
0: Totally, I think people undervalue um, the visual cues um, like you described. Uh, like, at least once you get uh, the the pattern, then it, it just becomes a lot easier to consume and, uh, and read and grok and that code. So, Zanda, do you have something you wanted to say about um, how to know what when you're testing the right thing? Well, I think
3: it's important not to test things you don't have control over, so don't test the framework, test your code. Um, And yeah, I guess that's really all I was gonna say on what to focus on. So, go ahead, Julie.
2: There's also um, a a sort of anti-pattern in testing that I see frequently, which is um, writing tests that just completely copy the behavior of your actual code. so you're testing that your code does exactly what your code does, uh, and then if your code changes at all, your test has to change, as opposed to um, writing tests where your test only has to change if the behavior that you want changes, which means that you could refactor your code and keep your tests the same, um, which is a great thing to be able to do if you want to refactor your code over and know that you still have it right. Totally, I, I think
0: that's uh, that's super valuable. I. Like I said, I, I mostly do unit tests, um, but uh, in, in a unit test context, it's more like you want to make sure that you can still change your API. So I mm-hmm. um, I worked at uh, at Domo, um, um, and I worked with a, a guy named Viper Bailey, and he taught me a lot. Um, but uh, one thing that I, I remember, he was having a discussion with uh, a few of the other developers there, and um, he just kept reiterating again and again, you just test inputs and outputs. Like, if I give it this, I expect it to give me this back. Um, And things like that get a little bit complicated if your uh, functions are stateful, um, but that's just another argument for stateless functions, um, and and so, or or stateless API. Um, But yeah, I think that's... um, that's a way that you can avoid what you were describing, Julie, is is make sure that you're just testing inputs and outputs. As far as, like, unit tests, I know behavior um, ETE um, is a little bit different, but for a unit test, if you're just saying, hey, if I give it this, I should expect this in return, um, then generally you're ensuring that you're testing the right thing, I think. Cool, so I um, I think we're... Kind of beating around the bush a little bit with uh, the difference between unit and end-to-end testing. So, um, Zan, could you really quickly just explain um, to the best of your knowledge what what is a unit test like? What what's
3: yeah? What is a unit test? Well, I think I mean you could you could debate the de- definition of unit probably all day long. What I like to think of most as isolated tests, something that is testing one piece of behavior that you, when that test fails or passes, you can point to that behavior and adjust the, you know, fix the issue. Um, I see in to end is more of um, kind of, it's testing the whole stack, so it's testing the behavior of your entire application. This is just why I tend to not do a lot of Indian testing because it doesn't give you a single point of failure it just says this test fa- passed now go look through your you know, massive stack of applications of app from the front end to the back end which is probably you know 10 layers deep not including the request response stack which is probably another 30 layers right there so um, Yeah, that's, I guess that's my definition.
2: Yeah, I think it's also important to recognize that there's there's not, like, a clear line of, like, these are the only small tests, and then there's only huge tests. You can write tests of every size. And kind of going back to the original point, one of the things that's difficult about JavaScript is it blurs those lines, which are maybe a little bit more clear if you're working with Java or C++, because we've got things like, in Angular, you have a directive, that you want to test, and so you want to really attach that to the DOM because you have to do something with scrolling or something, right? Um, And so that's kind of a unit test but you're using a real browser and you're attaching something to the DOM and it's kind of a big test for what would normally be considered a unit test. Um, And then on the other side for end-to-end tests um, there's also, people also use the phrases integration test and functional test sometimes And I don't think that there's very clear definitions about exactly what all of these mean and whether end-to-end tests and integration tests are completely interchangeable. Um, I think of end-to-end tests as anything where you have some sort of real back-end that's serving pretty much your entire web stack, um, and then you're running tests against that. And then that back-end may just be a simple, you know, may mock out everything else that goes on on the back end of your application, or it may connect to real pieces, or it might only mock out the part that deals with credit cards that you don't want to actually be running during your tests, and everything else is real. Um, so there's all a whole continuum of how, how real your application is and how big your tests are.
0: That makes sense. I, I think that it would make sense to, um, when you're starting with E2E, um, or end-to-end testing, you. You'd want to do as little as possible, like m- muck out your entire back end at first, and then eventually you work your way back so that your test is is kind of or your testing is covering more. Is that probably a, a good approach, or is that are there pitfalls with that approach?
2: I think it really depends on what's going on in your development environment. So generally, you probably have some way of starting up your server when you're doing your local web development so you have some sort of fast refresh cycle and some sort of backend that you're connecting to that again isn't the real consumer credit card numbers or or whatever sort of real data you have Um, and I think generally you can probably reuse that for your first end-to-end testing environment so I think there's a lot of um, parallels between the developer setup environment and what you're testing and then end-to-end tests are big, are really hard to debug, um, and so I do think that if you can, like Sand mentioned, if you can catch features, catch issues earlier, that's great, and you should be doing the bulk of your logic testing and unit tests where you can actually debug them really quickly. But then the benefit of end-to-end tests is if you have that whole stack from the very back to the very front, um, and it passes, you know that that whole thing is working, at least it's getting something on the page, it's showing something. Um, so I think that actually having a simple test that tests a lot of your full stack is very beneficial. And maybe that test is just, you know, the page loads and I can see, like, the title on the page. And and that's great, and that tells you a lot about your application working.
3: So do you... has Okay, so I have two questions. One is... I, I've... i well, More of a statement. I use it in testing very lightly, and for, as Julie just described, smoke tests. Um, Has anyone done like a large suite and tried to fully cover an app of any sort of relevant size with Indian testing and been successful with that? (laughs) 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 100s I've done it.
1: So okay, this is my approach. You go to production, and you have to test it. And going to production may be like once in a while, maybe once a month. Or maybe going to production is something that you do it twice a week. So I used to do it uh, once uh, a week. Now in my project, we do it twice a week. So it's expensive, and we have engineers and people hate to do it. So you have this script that you have to run manually and verify. And sometimes you know the code didn't change, so you gonna skip some some of the tests. So you may have like the most expensive infrastructure in the world, and you have like Google, like. Stack over there, super expensive, reliable. But then, if your save button doesn't work, then your whole product doesn't work. It's like you're gonna lose money, or maybe someone is gonna do production support. So we have tons of tests. We have experience, like doing a, in development, in production, like running. We have stuff running right now. So um, my biggest project for Protractor, it has 180 tests. We cover around like 85% of the deployment uh, script or the testing that you do to make sure that you're ready to go to production. And the remainder of that 15%, you have to do it manually because either it's very difficult to automate or it's expensive. So um, when you're doing this, you have to be aware that there's going to be a cost. The more tests you have, the more likely you're going to find problems and you're going to Become like, okay, you have a you're kind of like test that is flaky and you have to fix it. But the moment you save time by not doing this release uh, process manually, that's where you get your investment back. But if you're doing it without a strategy, you need a strategy, otherwise, it's not going to work. So uh, that will be like my main recommendation go with a strategy, otherwise, it's not going to work.
3: And how many false negatives do you get in your tests every time you run it?
1: Like a 1%, but you know those ones. You know the ones that are flaky. And sometimes you say, OK, whatever. It it flakes, and then maybe it's going to take you like 30 seconds to to test it manually, and it's fine.
0: OK. We like to have have lots of. Sorry, (laughs) we're all talking at
2: the same time. Um, uh, Go ahead, Julie. I was saying, we'd like to have lots of conversations about um, like existential conversations about flaky tests and how bad they are. Um, And Google does a testing conference uh, called GTAC, a Google Test Automation Conference, and um, there's actually some really good videos from the conference that we had this year um, with different opinions about um, sort of what flaky tests mean. And there's there's one that's kind of, you know, they're the worst thing in the world um, and they will, you know, poison your test results and no one will listen to your tests. Um, Two, there's a lot of value that you can get from a positive, even if there's some false negatives, right? So if you have some flaky tests, but they all pass one run, like, great, you know that your test is ready to go, as opposed to uh, if it flakes, you might have to investigate it, you might have to rerun it, but you rerun it, you get that pass, and you know it's good. Um, So I don't think it's entirely black and white, how bad flaky tests are. Um, Reducing flakes whenever possible is one of my constant battles with uh, Protractor, just making sure that we can make everything as reliable as possible, uh, because they are a pain.
0: So what makes uh, end-to-end... Like, I, I've, I've never really had flakiness with unit tests. Like, that just isn't a thing. Um, what, what makes end-to-end testing uh, so flaky? Because, I, like, you hear the, the concept of uh, false positives or, or false negatives a lot, um, so what what about unit tests, or, or end-to-end tests, makes them so flaky?
2: Yeah, so I think a, a ton of it is um, race conditions somewhere in your stack, which ranges a whole lot from, you know, you've got an entire backend set up which may be connecting to other services if anything goes wrong in any one of those services. Um, you know, you have a situation where a user would probably just refresh your page because they get an error bar. Um, but in an end-to-end test, that shows up as the save button wasn't available. And, you know, great, someone's gotta go debug and figure out why the save button wasn't available when, like, your app didn't connect to Twitter properly, right, um, and it's, it's very hard to figure out what that connection is. Um, so the fact that there's just a lot of tools and services going on, um, and then the browsers are slow. You know, web pages are really slow for computers. It takes a long time to render, it takes a long time to respond to input. One of the things that Protractor does, which I think is one of the best benefits of it, is that instead of manually having to tell your application how to wait for the next step, Protractor hooks into Angular's infrastructure and asks Angular to let us know when the page is stable, which means when HTTP requests are done, when timeouts are done, when Angular is done with its digest loop, so that we can automatically take care of most of that weighting and reduce most of those race conditions. But things do still creep in, especially when it's not part of the the normal Angular world. So if you're including some sort of other rendering, anything where you'd have to call digest yourself, there's potentially things that could um, leak in and cause race conditions. And then I think you just get a lot of tool failures in terms of browsers don't start up properly. Generally in end-to-end testing, if you're doing it with Protractor, you're getting a new instance of a browser for every test run. Um, and so browser doesn't start up properly. Uh, browser doesn't shut down properly. Um, these kind of things happen a lot.
0: Yeah, it sounds like there are just a lot of uh, places uh, or, or uh, joints uh, where there could be failure.
1: Um, and then it, it depends on the kind of uh, application you're dealing with. So in my project, maybe we have like 40 Angular developers working on the same application at the same time. So imagine that you have a a directive that's used all over the place. If you change something, maybe your protractor test doesn't have a good selector. Let's say you're looking for a particular label. And somebody decides, okay, this label is not uh, good enough, so let's change it. But then your protractor test is going to fail. It's going to be very evident, but sometimes it's not as easy as that. So you have a directive that spans across the entire application and that that may cause some flakiness. And obviously it's impossible to know what's going on with forty developers all over the world. So every time I sync my my code, I get like, I don't know, more than hundred changes. And it's been just like a couple of hours. So <laughs> you absolutely need Protractor for these kind of projects because Otherwise, the amount of effort you need to test it manually and to make sure it works is, is just too much. You need like a person, like dedicating like, like an entire week just to deploy to production, and then you have to do it twice a week.
3: So I guess it's zero
1: enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so yes. when do you, when do you run your tests? Your um, end end test. You do it at check-in. Do you do it at a kind of CI box at a scheduled time? Is it the developer's responsibility to run the suite? Uh, you have a subset of tests. Obviously,
1: you cannot run the entire thing. So, the largest protractor project that we have inside Google runs in 40 minutes. In my project, it runs in two hours. It runs in two hours because sometimes we have flakiness. So, our approach to flakiness is uh, retry. If after a few attempts it fails, then it goes as, as a failure. Okay. So since it retries, it, it may take a long time because uh, it has to start from from scratch from the top of the of the suite, the top describe.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, uh, oh, so the the top describe of of the test that failed, or like the entire suite, like so. Let's say only one one test failed. Like, do you run the entire suite all over again just because one failed, or do you just run that one test?
1: Okay. So. Obviously, there's this principle of make your tests hermetic and independent and so on. But there's going to be a time cost. So whenever, if you want to, let's say you have an application that needs a user and permissions and so on. If you're going to be creating all of this dependency graph from the UI, it's going to cost you a lot of time, because you have to load the application, click here, click Save, wait until the page is ready, and so on. So obviously, you have some shortcuts, which is, okay. maybe I'm going to start depending on the state of my previous test. Let's say you're creating a user. You create a user, it passes. Then let's say I will update the email address of the user. So you update because you already created one, so you're depending on the first test. And maybe you test, Okay, maybe there's a change log saying, okay the email was changed, or something like that. So um, that's why you have to run the entire thing, because you have these dependencies. And those dependencies are there for a reason, because otherwise it would take too long to run anything. Because if you make everything independently, it uh, takes too much too much time.
0: Uh, that makes sense uh, for something big, which is kind of the sad state that we're in. But I, I think um, it's No, probably... but there's
1: no other way. So the other yeah. way is a person will do it. A person will skip steps, and then somebody's going to be on call, and somebody's going to have to wake up in the middle of the night. So yeah, it's not perfect, but right now, we don't have anything better. And Protractor is amazing. We tried uh, different tools before. We tried the uh, Angular scenarios. We tried the uh, regular WebDriver. And we never achieved anything larger than 12 tests. And then we, in my previous project, we got like 10 times as many tests, or maybe more, in Protractor, and they're mostly stable. Mm. So. Uh, so when,
0: with uh, end, end-to-end tests um, and uh, unit tests, when do you know um, what makes sense for a unit test like, and when, what makes sense for an end-to-end? Like? I, I, I would uh, assume, like, from my approach, I would uh, unit test like, most things um, and then just pick and choose what I would um, end-to-end test. Is that kind of a, a good approach or what would be the better way?
2: Yeah, I think that if something can be a unit test, it probably should just be a, a unit test. Um, so especially things where um, you're testing sort of, it, there's some logic that's somewhere in your JavaScript, and you want to test multiple cases of it. Um, so, for example, filling out a form, and you want to test you know, invalid cases and different edge cases and input validation. Um, I think that that's really great for unit tests. And for end-to-end tests, you probably don't need to test every single case, but you know, pick one happy user case where you know, user is authenticated and, and logs in properly and creates a to-do, and one unhappy user case that shows that hey, if a user isn't authenticated, they actually can't see the page, which is great, um, and then you've got those two, and you don't need to test every single edge case um, mm-hmm. using the full end-to-end stack. Cool.
1: So um, well, let me give you this analogy. So it's like an orchestra. So you can have like a piano, the guy playing the piano is going to sound amazing. But then sometimes you need everything together at the same time. And okay, you're going to have to do something like relatively easy. You just make sure that you can save an entity and don't don't go any further than that because then it's going to cost you in the long run because it's going to be flaky. So for so for those things where you need the entire orchestra, you use Protractor. For those things where you can say, OK, maybe this piano or uh, the violin is going to sound right, you do unit test. And then you can bang it with whatever input, invalid, valid, uh, all of the scenarios. As long as you can do it in a unit test, do it in a unit test. Otherwise, Protractor.
0: Cool. So let's talk about Protractor really quick. Uh, we've obviously, we've alluded to it, and uh, I. so here at work, um, we're, we're running too fast, uh, <laughs> I think, but... Uh, so I um, I haven't gotten into Protractor as much as I'd like to, and so we have a, a QA team, uh, and uh, one of the guys there has decided, hey, it'd just be really nice if I could just test, like, make sure login works, so I don't have to test that over and over again. Um, so he's decided to take it on himself to uh, to do uh, integration tests or, or end-to-end tests. Um, and he started out with Protractor uh, because he was like, Angular, Protractor, that's what you do, um, but he decided to, to switch, um, and it was mostly, like, from his perspective, um, maybe it was just he didn't understand the tool well enough, but as, like, as a newcomer, that's important anyway, um, but uh, he said that Protractor just gave him a lot of features that he didn't really kind of care as much about, um, but maybe you can like, I, I'm gonna show him this and be like, hey, you should use Protractor anyway. So what, what would you say to uh, somebody who's not really much of a JavaScript developer uh, and certainly not an Angular developer in uh, using Protractor to uh, to write integration tests?
2: Sure, so there's, um, there's a couple of things that Protractor does. So uh, I think um, it's important to know that it's built on top of WebDriver. So you said he switched, I'm not sure what he switched to, but it was probably some sort of other WebDriver. Yeah. Yeah. So um, WebDriver is a project. Uh, they're working to become a W3C standard, um, implemented by all major browsers. Um, and what it defines is an API between a um, some sort of test server and something called a browser driver. And there's an implementation of this driver for each browser. So there's a Chrome driver, a Firefox driver, etc. Um, and the API is a list of commands that are sort of uh, things that a user might do to interact with your page. So um, it defines how you would find elements, which is using things like CSS selectors or ID, and then uh, clicking on elements, sending keys to elements, um, performing mouse actions, performing navigation-type things, etc. So the idea is that you've got this Uh, very defined interface of ways that a user real person interacts with a page and then the browser driver implements those as natively as possible. So instead of triggering an on click event for a click it will actually go in and fire a native like click so that means that that click will get intercepted like it would if it was a real click Um, you know elements in front of it will block it like if it was a real click instead of um, you might miss those problems if you just trigger that JavaScript on-click event. So that's what WebDriver is. Um, And then there are bindings for writing WebDriver tests. Traditionally, Java, I think, has been the most commonly used one, so a lot of um, QA teams or people who are writing backends in Java are familiar with that. Um, There's also um, some pretty popular Python bindings um, and projects that write different syntaxes for using these bindings. so Projector uses that, and obviously the bindings are in JavaScript because our target audience is devs who are writing their own tests as opposed to a completely separate team. Um, and we figure devs are working on the front end, they're comfortable with JavaScript, they're writing Angular, they want to write their tests in JavaScript and having instead of having to switch context to a different language for writing end-to-end tests.
0: And you would be right in that
2: assumption. <laughs> <laughs> and for, we figure... If they're using a tool like um, generally Jasmine or Mocha for the the framework and syntax for writing their tests, um, then they can use that same tool. Um, So Protractor is compatible with Jasmine and Mocha. Um, And then the other big thing that Protractor gives you is it's built specifically for Angular applications. So I mentioned it has hooks in to figure out when the page is stable so you can avoid race conditions. It also has some special ways of getting elements by their bindings instead of using CSS selectors. Um, and then we can do some stuff with loading in modules, mocking out modules, a couple of other fancy things that we can do because we know the page is um, written in Angular. So I think the, the big draw for me is that avoiding race conditions, I think, is like worth it <laughs> entirely. Um, it's a huge pain to have to write your own wait conditions for every step that you take. So if you weren't using Protractor, after every action that clicks on the page, you would have to go in and say, okay, after that action, I expect some sort of delay, and then I expect the save button not to be disabled. So I'm gonna go check every 200 milliseconds, and make sure that the save button's not disabled, and then we can move on, which is a huge pain. Um, and other things that I think Protractor does well, biased opinion, um, we make setting up the whole WebDriver stack fairly easy. So there's a tool that comes bundled with Protractor for getting the binaries that you need to get, for example, Chrome driver or Internet Explorer driver set up, um, which you have to go find from the web. Otherwise, um, we have pretty easy integration with services like Sauce Labs, which give you browsers in the cloud if you don't have a Windows computer available, but you still want to test on Internet Explorer. Um, and then we just work to make sure that reporting works well. You know, you get your test output to the console or in a JSON file that works nicely, and um, sort of bringing together all of the technologies that you need. So that's from uh, Jasmine or Mocha, some sort of test runner, to test output, getting WebDriver in there, etc.
0: Cool. Uh, so to me, it sounds like it's pretty compelling. I, re- I remember trying to decide uh, like a year ago what um, I was somewhere else, and uh, uh, there were some people trying to decide what should we do for end to end. And I was like, I, I watched your talk from ng-conf, uh, not this year but the last. And I was like, yeah, you'd be insane to not use Protractor for Angular. Just like it brings too much to the table to uh, to avoid using. Um, so anyway, I, I what. But we are kind of winding down, and I wanted to make sure that I asked uh, this question, so... Uh, well, before,
1: before you ask the last question, I would recommend okay. using Elementor for... I built it, so... <laughs> <laughs> so we had a, um, a testing engineer in my previous project, and he didn't know any JavaScript, so he wrote, like, a dozen tests in Protractor without knowing much about CSS selectors or any JavaScript-related development. So, using Elementor, he was able to build like so many tests. And it was amazing. Because he didn't know what he was doing, and he was just copy-pasting the locators that were suggested by, by this tool, and then boom, we have a dozen tests. Okay, so I what elementor, that? and
2: yeah. where can we find out more information about it?
1: Okay, <laughs> Elementor is a tool that allows you to to find to discover protractor locators from your browser or your IDE. So you run it. And then there's a Chrome extension that you can say, OK, uh, let me try in this pop-up. I'm going to say, OK, buy CSS. Boom. and this is gonna tell you, OK, I found this, or I didn't find this. You can run commands. Then it has a developer tools extension. So when you, whenever you change the selected DOM element, it will go against a live protractor session. And then it will tell you, OK, I found these suggestions. And for any of these suggestions, this is the number of matches that I found. So, imagine there's like a by CSS, by binding, by model. And it's going to tell you, OK, I have one, ten. So, probably you could choose the one that gives you a unique uh, result. You can run it from IntelliJ WebStorm, or there's also a Sublime plugin. So, you're in your test and you start like uh, running commands against a live protractor session.
0: Well, wow, that sounds like a must have. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds way valuable. Elementor. <laughs> Go look that up. Um, cool. Thank you for mentioning that. So um, I'm just going to throw out an assumption really quick. I may be wrong. You can correct me. But I would assume that um, of the JavaScript testers out there in the world, most of them know a lot more about unit testing than end-to-end testing. Would you say that's probably accurate? So, um, so looking at things from that perspective. Um, what do I need to know or, or what is different um, specifically with Protractor if I'm using Karma, which is kind of the, the de facto for Angular um, uh, test unit testing if I'm using Karma um, and I'm using Jasmine or Mocha uh, what, as my framework, what do I need to know uh, or what's different about uh, end-to-end testing with Protractor
2: I think uh, one thing that's Really helpful to keep in mind is that everything is going through that WebDriver protocol. So when you're running tests and end tests, um, the the JavaScript that you're writing is not being executed in the browser. So you don't have native access to things that are available on the browser global window. Or you know you you can use CSS selectors, but it's through that find the elements um, through the WebDriver API. You can't just go in and natively muck with and access your site, which kind of at first can seem like, wait, I can't do anything, like, <laughs> where's all my variables? Um, but it forces you to be testing from the perspective of a real user, so it sort of forces that separation that we were talking about earlier, where you're testing the behavior and not the internals, because you can only test through the the behavior, through this API. Um, so I think that's one important thing to keep in mind. Um, and then... Another thing which Andre sort of talked about earlier is that you're probably gonna have to be doing a lot of environment setup and tear down, and so maybe the rules around having each test be completely independent and hermetic might get a little fuzzier, um, and that might be okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then there's another thing which has nothing to do with Protractor, but with, with driver.js, promises are very confusing at the beginning. It takes you a few days to understand and that causes a lot of frustration because uh, people who did WebDriver before are used to this synchronous padding so you run something it waits for this action to be done and it continues to the next step. With Protractor sometimes let's say you want a value and that value is going to be resolved inside a promise. So let's say you're Uh, writing a very simple test where you add a row to a list. So imagine you grab the number of rows in the list, then you add a row, and then you count. And then obviously, it's going to resolve those two promises at the end, and that test is going to fail say, okay, There's no new row, because the, the way promises work, it's not letting you do that. So you have to first resolve the first promise, and then add at the, at the role and do the assertion. And you yeah. do
2: that inside a then block. And that's very confusing at the beginning. Yeah, it's um, important to remember that everything is asynchronous, again, because it is it has to go talk to a browser and do something with your website and then come back. Um, and Projector maintains this thing called the control flow, which kind of makes it so that you can just write out find an element, click it, blah, 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 without having to do dot then, dot then, dot then, make everything into a promise. Um, But it is important to know that backing all of that, those are all promises.
0: Okay. That sounds like um, stuff that you just kind of got to (laughs) experience.
1: Yes. Takes you a couple of days for a good developer, and then for me, like, a week.
0: (laughs) So what what about like the my actual test? I'm I'm really curious, um, like the with the tooling. Do I instead of Karma run or start? Do I do Protractor start and then inside of my test I have a describe and an it and then what what do I do inside of that it? I'm I'm really kind of thinking about um, code and, and actually what what is that experience?
2: Uh, okay, yeah. So um Protractor like Karma is available as a node module. So um npm install. Um, Our website is protractortest.org and I think probably the best way to get quick setup is there's a tutorial on there which goes through uh, the blocks of the API that Protractor has. Um, So it's designed to kind of mirror Karma in a lot of ways uh, in that you'll have a configuration file which deals with setup issues like um, what browsers you want to be testing on and where your test files are. um, Those sort of things that are independent from the tests, just how you run them. And then you'll have test files, which look a lot like unit test files in that they'll have describe blocks, they'll have it blocks. Uh, And then inside those, you'll use a couple of the globals that Protractor uh, makes for you. And the two primary ones are browser, which has functions that let you do things like uh, navigate to URLs, um, get the title of the page, sort of browser-wide things. And then there's another function called element, which is for finding elements. So you'll pass in some sort of locator that's um, how to find an element, a CSS selector or a uh, Angular binding that you're looking for. And then you can perform actions on the object that's returned from that. So that's gonna be your clicking, your sending keys, etc. And then uh, you'll do expectations. That's, again, that's from the test framework. So if you're using Jasmine, that's that expect function. And then you have matchers like to equal, to be, to contain, etc. I see, so
0: it's um, basically pretty much the same. I'm just using a different API and a different runner. Um, yep. Is that kind of the idea? Yep. Cool, so everybody out there listening, it's not as scary as you think. <laughs> um, cool, so um, I think just to, as we're winding down, um, I think the takeaway for people here is Unit test all the things, uh, end-to-end test uh, the the critical things, uh, and as many of those things as you can. Um, and unit testing and end-to-end testing, as far as, like, setup and uh, your code for those tests is actually remarkably similar. Uh, there are things that you need to, to take in consideration specifically with end-to-end testing that you don't need to worry about as much with uh, unit testing. but. Uh, all testing is good, and so do it.
1: Yes, here's a very good rule of thumb, which is uh, for end-to-end testing, what kind of thing would break in your application that would cause someone to wake up in the middle of the night? And probably you need a test for that. I like that. That um, you, you I used to be a banker, and it happened all, all the time. Because like bankers, they work 24-7, even on weekends. so. That's why I'm very aggressive about testing, because I like sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's, that's tweetable. Let's make sure we tweet. <laughs> cool. Well,
0: uh, before we get into the final uh, questions and wrapping up, uh, I just want to ask really quick, is there anything else that uh, we didn't cover that you'd like to, uh, to chat about?
1: Hmm. I think we're good. Um, page objects, I would say. <laughs> Sorry, what? Um, page objects. So maybe you should explore the opportunity to like implement page objects as you move, as you progress with your protractor tests. It's like a great way to simplify your code and make it readable.
0: Make like a page object. Is this like an abstraction? Is that a what you're page
1: talking? object? Is an abstraction of the view that you have in your browser, and it. Uh, it gives you an API to perform all the actions that a user would normally
0: perform. So is this like your, your own abstraction for your own application? Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, it's like a DSL. Okay. If you Google page objects, you're going to see, like, there's a lot of uh, ideas about it, how to do it, how not to do it. So okay. use whatever approach works for your team. There's no single good way of testing. Cool. I
0: like that. Um, okay, with, with that, uh, let's go ahead and go to our Q&A. Um, I think we have three questions by our ever so faithful Olivier Kuhn. Um, he's awesome, and he asked some really good questions, I think, here, so. Um, the first is, how do you test your test libraries? So I think this one's mostly for Julie.
2: Yeah, um, I can talk about this. So, for Projector, We have, if you go into the GitHub repository, um, there's a test application, which is an Angular application that basically has um, a couple of different views and they're all just test data or things that you might do with an Angular application. And then we have a suite of tests that are written in Protractor um, that run against that. Um, And you can run them yourself uh, with npm test. Also, we Um, have the
1: test for the website.
2: Yes, yes, and the, um, the tests for ProjectorTest.org are also on there. Um, and then I think the only thing that we have in addition to that is that we have a basically shell script that'll run those, and then it also runs a set of tests that are supposed to fail and verifies that they give the right sort of output and you know, that the errors that they fail with look same. Um, so it, it just tests by running itself, basically. Uh, We also try to split into smaller tests. I'm not sure if I want to call them unit tests, but smaller sets when possible. Um, If you know, we can avoid opening up a browser to test things like the logic behind the the runner for Protractor, which picks out which test files it's gonna run and which spec blocks it's gonna run. So we have separate tests for that um, that are just using Jasmine um, and running via Node. Um, and additionally, Protractor is a little bit split into a couple of projects for the different frameworks that we support. So for Jasmine, which is sort of the, the default framework that we think of and the one that probably has the best support, there's a separate repository that is the Jasmine WebDriver adapter, and that's taking care a lot of, of a lot of that promise um, asynchronous code, and that has its own set of tests. So we do try to split them into smaller tests where possible, but most of it is just running Projector against the test application.
0: Cool. Sounds good. Uh, and then another question. In unit tests, how do you deal with libraries that use multiple uh, dollar $q promises, or just promises, I think, in general, asynchronous uh, stuff? He says that one digest isn't enough to resolve all the promises. What do you think about that, Zan? Um.
3: Well, I would say you probably want to isolate your libraries, wrap them in a facade of some type, and manage the manage the promises on your own. I don't I don't understand. I mean, I'd have to know more of why he's needing to do a digest in a unit test outside of doing like a directive test possibly. Um, I don't know. I would just wrap it and try to manage it yourself. Is, I guess is the best thing you to do. Okay. Sweet. Uh, so um, that,
1: that may happen when you have HTTP requests. So sometimes you want to resolve a couple of requests, and that that's kind of tricky because let's say you're making five requests to the backend at the same time, and you don't really know what's going to be the order in which those requests are going to come back. So sometimes you want to resolve just these two promises that uh, represent like a response from the server. And then, okay, you say, depending on what is it that you're using, well, probably you're using HTTP backend, and it has a number. So you can say, okay, resolve these two. And then you also have when, get, when, post, and so on. And you can use expect, get, expect, post. So when you have when, there's no order. When you have expect, the requests uh, have to happen in that order. So maybe uh, that would be a scenario where your promises are relevant for your code because some bugs happen when one request comes before the other one, and you were counting on this one coming before, since it's usually faster. It happens. Gotta love those race conditions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. um, awesome. And I'd also say, like, well, yeah. If, if that doesn't answer your question, tweet at us, um, and we will we can look at it more. So, and last question, in unit tests, is there a way to clean up the DOM and memory between tests like a web page reload would do? I need this when I'm testing the init phase of my modules. So, I've, I've never had an experience with, uh, or, or had a need to do this, but uh, I don't know if you,
2: if any of you have had that. I, I have a couple a piece of advice, so um, if you're testing, I'm not exactly sure what the init phase of their modules is doing, so um, caveat, but if you're testing a directive, you can inject Angular's compile service and test that directive without ever attaching it to the real DOM, so if you can do that, that's great, and then it just cleans up, because it's variable and it goes out of scope, right? if you have to attach it to the DOM for some reason or your module initiali- initialization is automatically doing something that, that attaches to the real DOM, um, we've done things that maybe seem a little hacky but we will make like a container element in the DOM in a before each step in the tests and then just blow that away in the after each and that verifies that at least your DOM is cleaned up after that.
1: Yeah, you can have an after each or an after all to make sure that you are clean up. Yeah, and for you Mocha folks,
0: that's before and after. Um, If you want to do an after all
1: or something like that.
0: I'm a Mocha folk, (laughs) so cool. All right, I think that's uh, that's it for our, our, we're a little bit over our time, uh, but we're still going to ask this last question, uh, and it is, what tip would you give a brand new developer? And I'll go ahead and start, give you guys a second to think about it. I was thinking about this today, and I think a very valuable thing for any developer is to learn Git. Um, just learn learn how to use Git because you're uh, you're going to be using it. Uh, if not in your workplace, you're going to uh, want to know how to uh, use Git with uh, GitHub, which is like the canonical like that or the uh, the de facto standard for open source projects, which you'll be using. Um, and so, yeah, Git is a valuable skill. Learn it. Uh, okay, so Andres, why don't you
1: go first and then Julie and Zan. Yeah, I was going to say the same. Get your GitHub account and maybe... Uh, this is a very exciting time because we have GitHub and there are tons of open source projects and maybe if you can contribute to a project, you can learn a great deal. Uh, even uh, You can write documentation or maybe you can fix a little bug and you can learn a lot and you can network a lot with tons of people. There are tons of friendly people all over the world. And it's a great opportunity to advance your career and to learn something something new. Just open your GitHub, get a project you're interested in, and try to have your first uh, pull request.
2: Cool, uh, Julie? So um, for people who are interested in Angular specifically, which um, I kind of assume you are if you're watching this, <laughs> Um, I think the Angular repo itself has a lot of really great unit tests. Um, Like you said, they have a huge suite of tests, and they have very well-written unit tests. So whenever anyone's asking about, um, how do I get started unit testing, or how do I do a unit test for a directive, one of the first places I send them to is, go look at Angular's own unit tests for their own directive. Um, And there's a lot of uh, stuff that you can just copy directly from there, a lot of really good patterns.
0: Cool. Good tip. Um, And, Zan?
3: I guess I would say um, become the master of whatever you use to write code, whether that's WebStorm, IntelliJ, Sublime, Vim, Emacs. Just learn how to become a rock star when it comes to text manipulation in something. Pick one. Be good at it.
0: Well, and I would add to that. I think that's a great tip. Um, I would add it. Really, doesn't matter which one you use. No, it doesn't. Uh, it just matters that you're good at it. So, uh, yeah, avoid those uh, those editor wars. And if if you don't have an opinion, then just go with whatever uh, the people you're working with use, because then you avoid the editor wars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Great. Uh, so. Yeah, that's, that's our show. Let me just close up with, again, our next show is next week with da- uh, David East about Firebase and Angular 2. Totally stoked to have uh, him on. And then um, uh, get on ng-air.github.io for um, show information and, and asking questions. Um, one, one thing it is that uh, Google Moderator is actually going away, which is super, super sad. They didn't ask us, but, uh, yeah, so um, we're probably going to just use the Q&A feature in Hangouts, um, but uh, I'm open to other suggestions if you have any. So anyway, um, yeah, you won't be able to ask questions, I think, in like a month uh, on Google Moderator, so just FYI. And then remember to follow us on Twitter and Google+, uh, to stay up to date. Uh, we're at Angular Air, so that's all my announcements. Um, and so I just want to say thank you guys for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully we get a lot more unit and end-to-end tests in uh, the world. Um, so thank you.
3: Thanks. 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 See you guys later.
0: Bye. See ya.